you, Leslie and Paul, and good to see you all here today. You too. All right. Thank you. Let's take our Bibles this afternoon, and we'll turn to uh, the book of Mark once again. It's, uh, we've been traversing through that gospel, looking at power. Mark chapter 6 is where we'll begin today. We'll read the first five verses. Mark chapter 6, beginning now at verse 1. Mark 6, verse 1. He went out from thence, and he came into his own country, and his disciples follow him. When the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judah, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country, and among his own kin, and in his own house. And he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. And may God add a special blessing reading his word, and let us pause for prayer prior to our study this afternoon. Father God, we are privileged encouraged by the fact that we are gathered here today to surround our, to surrounding your word, Father, as you speak to us. The Holy Spirit, we'd ask, would exclusively be our teacher today as we look with earnest and rapt attention to what you will provide today to strengthen us and to uplift us, to bring us closer to yourself. And Father, it's no secret from the word that your desire is that we become more like Jesus Christ every single day that we would look just a little bit more like him. At each passing moment, you're working purposely to bring that to be. Fathers, we're engaged and focused now in this study. We would ask that you would be with each one of these dear ones that have come out this afternoon, and you'd bless them and their families. Father, they have challenges, they have problems, they have all sorts of things that may be weighing on them, but Father, you are above all and beyond all. Father, you are all. Thank you. For what you'll do, we know with confidence that we can believe you, that we can trust you, and you are God. And now, Father, may you be glorified in these moments before us as you bless us through the reading and the study of your word. These things we'll ask in Christ's precious and holy name. Amen. Well, let's kind of back up for a moment and talk about what we've been engaged in in this uh, unfolding of power. Tell me where we started in regards to that. We've, and we've been in Mark doing that uh, more than anywhere else, I guess. Not that there's anything significant about being there, but it, it's just kind of where we, we come. We look at, at other passages of Scripture that would give maybe a little bit more illustration or add some, some more details. But tell me, where, where did we start? What was the first thing that we saw Jesus Christ and the power that was exhibited? Where were, the, where, 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 where were we at? The storm. Uh, he actually literally calmed creation. Uh, how many of you have been able to be successful at that? Uh, <laughs> when's the last time you spoke to the wind and said, stop it? I tried yesterday, and you can tell it didn't work. It was a, wasn't it? It was just miserable yesterday. It, it, the wind was just, it was, it was really busy. And uh, I tried my Jesus, and it didn't work out. <laughs> and that has to be pretty amazing and 
I mean, over the top, to watch those. And these were commercial fishermen. I, I always want to be sure that we say, it's not just someone like me that's on a boat. I mean, I think, you know, that much of a wave would be enough to concern me. I'm not, I'm not a water guy. These were commercial fishermen. They don't in the, the Sea of Galilee. We talk quite a bit about that sea. And the, just the way it's set in that bowl, it is it's very tumultuous. I mean, you can, the winds can just come up out of nowhere and literally create this havoc. That's not the first time they'd been there. It's not the first time they'd seen that. This was the first time that they really thought that their lives were in danger. And it's very evident from the way they reacted. They were very, very scared. They were frightened, if you will, to the point of literally losing their lives. Jesus is sleeping during all of this <laughs> and exhausted beyond what we could possibly imagine. As you read through the Gospels, there's, there's some things about Jesus Christ. Now, he's, he's, he's physical as physical we are sitting here today. He was all man. You ever been tired? I mean, dead tired, like over the top kind of tired. Jesus was that way almost all of that ministry life. Three years, he persevered and conquered, exhibited power, but he did it from human form. I have no idea how much pressure he must have felt during all of this. And again, we talked about the throngs of the crowd, and they were just pushing and crowding. And literally, the, the safest place to go was to the lake, and then you had a boat. And he would speak from the boat because there was nowhere else to go. But on that particular occasion, Jesus Christ spoke to the wind and to the sea. The wind stopped, and the waves just flattened right out. I don't know what that must have been like, but you go from a boisterous, life-ending kind of a tragedy potential to all of a sudden it is all eerily quiet, and Jesus, all he's done is just spoke to them and said, you, what's wrong? You have no faith. And then it says, which is even, I think, even over the top, have you ever been in a situation where you were afraid you may lose your life? Where there was fear, I mean legitimate fear, whatever that is. And you may be paging back and in your history there was a moment or two or who knows how many. But I want you, I want you, we dialed in on this. On that occasion, after Jesus Christ had quieted this life-ending potential storm, it says they were even more fearful because they saw Jesus as being God. <laughs> it was like being in the presence of God. They'd seen Jesus as yeah, he's the Messiah, he's the rabbi, he's the teacher, he's the master. All of those, those adjectives that were not wrong. But literally, when they watched this man calm the storm, they saw a power that belonged solely to God. <laughs> they saw Jesus as who he truly was, and that is the Son of God. So that was the first time we looked at his power, and that's, that's pretty amazing. That's over the top. When you can start speaking to the creation and make it obey you, just fall in line, that's some God's kind of stuff. What was our next one? Where did we go from there? That's right. He got in that boat. He was in the boat. He finished teaching to that crowd on that day, and then he said, let's go. And this storm-ridden night brought them to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and again, I think it's interesting. I, I don't know how much of an issue I made of this, but it is worthy. Sometimes your life's storms, places that you wouldn't probably go in the sense of this crazy life has taken me to this place. And it's amazing how they ended up at just the right place for Jesus to cast a demon out. Not a demon, a legion of demons. Probably, I, and again, I'm saying this because there's a herd of 2,000 pigs 
How many of you have seen 2,000 pigs in a pile? Of, I mean, just, and there, there's some, been some large confinement hog operations that, you know, they're, but I'm talking, these are 2,000 pigs outside. I just, that, that's a lot, right? And literally, that one man was inhabiting, or was the habitation of enough demons that those 2,000, and what do you know about, this is something I know I didn't say enough of, a pig is like a cat. They have a mind of their own. There's no herding instincts. Sheep will follow. Cattle will follow. Why don't you try that with hogs, right, Paul? They have their own mind made up, and they will go where they want to go, and it's usually not together. That's why if you've got like 20 or 30 sows that get out of the gestation barn, which I'm... As a child, uh, we had hogs. We had a lot of them. And it was like, it was just pandemonium because they just took off and they went everywhere. There was no, there was no leader. They were all leaders. And that's why I think it's very, very true to the statement that this demon which spoke for the spokesman of this, we are legion. Now that word in the Romans from that day would have been anywhere from three to 6,000 men. That's what a legion was. And literally, Jesus, just in the presence of him, this demon-possessed man, he was relieved of that legion of demons, which then 2,000 individual pigs, I want to say that, dove off into the sea and were killed. Whoa! What kind of power is that? Amazing power. And you remember the townspeople? They came out. The whole town, it says, the whole town came out to watch this. Jesus, who is he? And you know what? The one thing they were all conclusive about, would you please leave us alone? We're scared of you. Because we know that guy, that, that we called him Clyde last week, right? We didn't call him Bill, right? Because we, we called him Bill the week before. <laughs> yeah. So we went with a Clyde because I don't know a lot of Clydes. But at any rate, Clyde now is free of demons. And we know that that man was crazy because we tried to bind him, we tried to hold him, we tried to chain him, we tried everything, and he would just break all of the the sense of bonds that we had. And this Jesus spoke, and there's 2,000 dead pigs to prove that something happened there. That's power. That's a lot of power. And then where did we go next? That's right. He healed. Uh, it was like a miracle within a miracle. And we talked about the, the, the proximity and the diverseness of those two cases. A woman that had been hemorrhaging for 12 years. Jairus, who is the leader, a ruler in the synagogue, which would be a very elevated position. He would have been very respectful, respected. He would have been someone that was looked up to. And yet he fell down before Jesus' feet and said, my little daughter who's 12 years old is dying. And I know if you would come, and you put your hands up, she would be healed. You can see that sense of faith, right? He wouldn't have come to him if he didn't believe that. And then as Jesus is moving, there was things that we talked about. We, we can't, I can't redo it, but the one thing that's so important, and I want to say this because it's really important, all of this power that we've seen, and especially in these two cases, power was exhibited in the presence of need or compassion on Jesus' part. When a Pharisee came, show us some more signs, show us some more stuff. He never, ever did that. His power and his over-the-top in the sense of power of creation, power of a disease, power of demons, all of that was because he saw and was compassionate on someone that was suffering. Isn't that true? 
It's absolutely true. And here we have these two cases. You, do, you think, do you think the disciples and Jesus are kind of talking, where are we going to end up today? Where are we going to go today? Well, we know that from the demon being relieved of that legion of demons, they went back across the sea, which I find I'd never saw it until, until this study, that literally Jesus took that storm, let his disciples grow in some faith, a little bit, went from nothing to a little bit, because later on he said, oh, you're a little faith. But they went from no faith to a little faith, and they go and, they, and he casts out these demons, plural, and that's all that the purpose was. He did not go into town. They did not drop by the local McDonald's to catch a quick breakfast. They literally just got back in the boat and they went back across the sea. I find that, isn't that, isn't that amazing, the compassion? Jesus knew he was going to meet the guy at Gennesaret. He knew that, but no one else did. Now they cruise back across the sea and they get out. Here's the crowds. They're looking for him again. I'll tell you what. We have a God that loves us so much that we can interrupt him. Isn't that crazy? Here comes this ruler of the synagogue. He just flops down in front of Jesus and says, My daughter's about to die, but I know if you would come to my home, you could heal her. Now, I don't know where Jesus was going, but I know that's where he went. When you pray to God, when you're... I talked... I was, it was a long day yesterday. I got up at 1.30 in the morning. and I mean, it's just a long day. I guess it's going to get cold this week, right? Calving and cold, not a nice combination. So I got all this stuff I want to get done. And I came in, it was about 10 o'clock, 10.30 last night. And I'm ready to hit the sack, right? And I get a phone call from a guy, and he's struggling. His wife and he have separated for three months. I had given him a Bible. And I'm saying this because this is how we feed our spirit. This is how we meet Jesus, is through his word. And I would given him a Bible. Do you know that it, he was so... Um, remove. I, I can't get down this trail too far, but pray. I'll just leave them unnamed. Many of you don't know them. It doesn't matter. But I was from 10 o'clock or whatever, 10, 1030 till midnight last night just talking to him. And it took us an hour to get him to the Gospel of John. Now he's got a Bible in front of him. I don't have the same one, so I can't say turn to page such and such. He was so illiterate of the Bible, which I'd given him three or four years ago. And yet he's searching. He's searching right now. And you know what's really cool? God was right there last night. He was right there across the country, thousands of miles away, because God can be interrupted. <laughs> because he loves us. And it took more power last night than we can even imagine to bring that episode together that God is going to reach out to this man. I don't know the future of his family. I don't know that, but I know this much. I know God loves him, and God loves his family, and God's easily interruptible when we're looking for him. Isn't that great? That's fantastic. I went to bed. You know, it was a 23-hour day kind of a thing, right? I was tired, but it felt good. You ever go to, t- you ever go to bed like that? That's the way it should be. You should be really tired, but you feel really good. It's better that way, isn't it? Because God is using us. That's what we're here for. You guys are all here for such a time as this. Be committed to the cause of Jesus Christ. We haven't even started today, right? Isn't this great? (laughs) Say, Larry, where are you going to... Well, this is all review, but it's good for us, isn't it? Because context is so important. I mean, Jesus has knocked it out of the park, hasn't he? Because he, by the way, let's finish that little... He goes goes to to Jairus' house, and on the way, believe it or not... 
he was interrupted <laughs> by someone else right, that, that had a need. And this lady with this 12-year hemorrhage, and she would have been an outcast. We're going to a ruler's house, and she's a complete outcast. Uh, a, a woman that would have been suffering from this condition wouldn't have been able to go to the temple, would not have been able to go to the synagogue. She was an outcast. And she reached out, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you about faith. She just, if I, could just, if I could just touch Jesus, if I could just touch his garment, I know I'd be healed. And this is another thing, I think we mentioned it, that the personal touch that Jesus has, when you think about power of God, sometimes we think of it as almost being a matter. One thing that drives me crazy is when, some, when someone talks about, do you believe in creation? No, I believe, I, I believe in, a, in, a, in a power, in, a, in an it, in, a, in an over, it's inanimate, right? They want to make it inanimate. That is not our God. In fact, that's one of the coolest verses in that, within that verse to me, is when this woman come in behind Jesus Christ and just touched the bottom of his garment. And she knew that she was healed. And here's the really special part. Jesus knew that someone had been healed because his power went out from me. When you're praying to God, it's a personal power that affects you. It's a personal thing that Jesus saved you. It cost him every single sinner that's ever come to Jesus Christ. He literally feels that those nail prints which he'll wear for eternity in his feet and in his hands are there because he felt every single thing necessary to save us he's a personal god he's not inanimate it's not like the universe is this thing that just i said well where did the thing get created that's a stumper isn't it that's a stumper it takes it takes that's a whole nother sermon we won't get into what do you think about Jesus now? Isn't that something? It's what, a, what, a, what a deal. Today, today I want, I'm going to talk about something, or the Bible's going to talk about something that we oftentimes do not see as powerful. We're not going to talk about Jesus' power here today. We're going to talk about something else that has an amazing amount of power. But we don't usually view it that way. It's really, really powerful in a bad way. And it actually stymies a lot of what God intends to do. This little episode that we just read to you in five short verses is probably some of the most, um, what should I say, troublesome from the sense of the power and how much resistance it is to what, in this case, Jesus wanted to do. So let, I'm going to just play it out there and we're going to start digging in. So here's Jesus coming off of some, I mean, we just went, whoa, whoa, whoa. We've come through Mark and we started there and we're right there to the end. I mean, how big is Jesus? Touchdown, right? And a field goal and a couple more. It was like the Super Bowl of Jesus. And then he said he left Capernaum. Now that was on that, remember, our little, Larry, could you, do you have that, that little uh, map again? Because I might see if we can find where Nazareth is. As Laramie's looking for that. Uh, Capernaum would be on the top side of the Sea of Galilee. If that shows up, tell me, tell me, I'm going to turn around. The Sea of Galilee, it's at the top side, and it was where Jesus was headquartered at. You've heard of campaigns being headquartered on so-and-so. This was Jesus' campaign headquarters, if you will, for the three years that he's walking and talking on the earth. This was, this was kind of the deal. And hometown, it's not there yet, and hometown to him was... Okay, so, oh, Beautiful. And I had meant to come over here and find my lost 
Ha, 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 ha. Somebody else found it for you. Now, does it have batteries? Yes, it does. My little pointer, I can point all day long now. All right. There's the Sea of Galilee. And there's Capernaum. Okay. And this is kind of about where that demon was healed. And he was, he, he was kind of cross and cross and cross. Now, what he's doing right now, let's, let's read in your, in your, just keep our geography together. Mark chapter 6, verse 1. And he, that's Jesus, went out from thence. Where was he at? He was at Capernaum and came into, what, how do we know that? Because he went to Jairus' house, which was, that was the synagogue. It's so tied together. Hopefully we made this connection. So how did, how did Jairus, the ruler of the synagogues, he's very connected religiously. Very connected because he's, he's running or being in charge of the synagogue where the Pharisees and the scribes, these highfalutin people that hate Jesus, they're in charge. How did he get to meet him? Well, we went back to, uh, I think it's like Luke chapter 4, verse 31 and on, that literally Jesus is in church. He's in the synagogue in Capernaum, which would have been where this man, Jairus, would have seen this. He would have had to. He was in that synagogue. He's a ruler, right? And in that meeting, on that day, in that synagogue, there was somebody in that crowd that had a demon. Now, that's hard for us. What do you mean, a demon in church? You better believe it. Demons want to have influence. They want to twist. They want to thwart. They want to cast truth out. They want to resist it. What a better place to be than someone where there's all truth being told. It happens every single Sunday of every single week all across the world. There's demons in church. But that day, (laughs) that day in the very presence of Jesus, and this is the one thing, we said it, we'll say it again, demons are absolutely petrified of Jesus Christ. They are scared to death. And when you have trusted Christ as Savior, you no longer are your own. The scripture says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You now are the temple of the Holy Ghost. You are the temple of Jesus Christ. He lives within you. So guess what? You do not need to be afraid of demons. Isn't that fantastic? And I want to say, I'll say it from the highest rafters. If you have trusted Christ as Savior, you're sold out to Jesus Christ. You know that there's no one else that could save you. You have trusted Jesus. Then there is no possible way for you to be demon-possessed. Because Jesus Christ is in charge and at home in your temple which is his. He bought it with a price. That's great news. It's great news. Now, to think that that Jairus must have seen that miracle of a man sitting in that synagogue of a demon just came forth and said, who are you? Why are you after us? We, that's a whole other story. I can't get back into it. Literally, that demon left that man in church, and Jairus must have seen that. Powerful. So now, actually, what's happening is we've got a change of events. Things are starting to change. Uh, he's in Capernaum which would be on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, and he says he's leaving it. Let's let's finish our verse 1 of chapter 6. He went out from thence, Capernaum, and came into his own country, and his disciples followed him. Now, what do you know? What's his own country? What's another title that we know of Jesus? He is Jesus the Nazarene. Okay? So, let's let's find, you guys see Nazareth on the little, okay? So, here's, now, what route he took, I don't know, but if you come down here to Nazareth, that's about 25 miles. And when he left Capernaum this time, it was like the, the, the activity, if, if you will, this was the host of the main uh, events that he had in this three-year ministry was at Capernaum. He did more miracles and more over-the-top stuff in Capernaum than anywhere else. In fact, 
they are going to be held responsible for that. This might be a good time. I'm just thinking, well, it's fresh in your mind. Let's take a look. Let's go to uh, Matthew. I believe it's Matthew chapter 11. I've got to dig into my notes further because I wrote it down way later. Um, <laughs> I'm going to have to see if I can find it. Let's go to, let's go to Matthew 11, and, and 33 is popping in my mind. Let's see if that's true. Jesus actually makes some predictions about the places that he's been. That's not going to work out, because if you can find a verse 33 in Matthew 11, you've got a better Bible than I do. Um, just hold on for a second. Um, 23. There we go. There, I actually did write it down. Let's start now in verse 20. Let's find Matthew chapter 11, verse 20, and let's get a look at Jesus literally because of what he's done, these cities that are literally condemned. Verse 20. Then began he to up the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done because they repented not. I'm going to stop there for just because we're going to say this all our whole session long. Jesus confronts them with truth. And now what's the purpose of a miracle? Okay. Display God to reveal God. It's literally to attest to truth. Now, now, your answers are correct, by the way. There, there's a lot of right. But literally, the miracles is to, to, to prove that what Jesus is doing, who you see is exactly the very essence of God. And the miracle is to, it's like, stamp that. It's right on top of it. It attests truth. And as Jesus does these miracles, that's why he says, look at this. Let, let's read that verse again, knowing that. And then began he to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done. Because they repented not. In other words, they didn't believe him. The miracles made no difference. Keep going. Verse 21. Woe unto thee, Chorazin. Woe unto thee, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted into heaven... Now, that's, that's the place that Jesus has been kind of focal pointing out of. This is, this is where ministry city was for Jesus. Which are exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell, for if the mighty works which have been done in thee would have been done in Sodom. Now, you know about Sodom and Gomorrah, right? They went up in flames. It would have, it would have remained until this day. And I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. Whoa! You know what hit me this afternoon as I was just thinking about that? Where Jesus has done miraculous works, where God has done an amazing amount of works. And when people cannot respond with belief, I would have to say we could have a verse for America. God blessed America. There should not be an America. But those founding fathers spent more time on their knees than they did on their feet. They went through some of the most difficult journeys in just raising up, doing what needed to be done to literally break away and become a free, God-worshipping nation. And today, it's the furthest thing from our minds. Isn't it something? We will not have God apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. That verse right there struck me today. Capernaum, you have nothing to talk about. You have nothing and all of the works I've done within you. Now, what he's doing is he's leaving that place. He's going to hometown. It would be like me going back to Tuttle, North Dakota. 
No response from the crowd. I just want to be clear. No one knows where that's at. I've been there. Have you? Have you actually? You have been? Yes. Really? You must have wanted to go there. And purposely. That's what I was talking about. That's you don't just automatically wander in to the little town of Tuttle. That's right. Yeah. So at any rate, the little town that I grew up in was about 200 people. Nothing, you know, just a little place. Um, high school was there. It's no longer there. I don't know what the population is today, but it, it's very small. And here, here's my point. Everybody knew everybody. Everybody had an opinion of everybody because it was a, it's like this tight, yeah, it's small town USA. Okay, and my research this week showed me that Nazareth, which is not spoken of in the Old Testament, the Jewish Talmud does not mention it, it's thought that there's probably about 500 residents in the little town of Nazareth. That was where Jesus grew up. That's where his father Joseph, and I'm saying father in the sense of not his, not his physical, biological father, because that was God. But that's where Mary, his mother, and Joseph lived. And Joseph was a carpenter. Now, how many people do you think in Nazareth did not know Jesus growing up? They knew him. <laughs> they knew him well. So this is almost like, well, we're leaving Capernaum, and they go 25 miles. Now, this isn't go home to see the family kind of a visit, because the family didn't even believe in Jesus. Think of that. Now, Mary believed him, and as long as Joseph was alive, he would have believed him. But I want us to go to, uh, let's see if i got to think about this. Uh, is it John? Just, just hold on. Just, just think good things. And I'm going to get there, and we'll see if... Yeah, let's go to John chapter 7. And I want you to see his family. We're just going to dive into one verse. You guys can do the, the contextual work yourself. Um, in verse 5 of John chapter 7. Verse 5, find John chapter 7. This is just, this is exactly his family. For neither did his brethren, that would be his brothers, his family, believe in him. What? How could you grow up with Jesus who never did anything wrong. He would be horrible to grow up with, wouldn't he? Because yeah. <laughs> mom would know who not to blame, right? <laughs> Kurt, that would have not been you, right? <laughs> right? Or any one of us, right? I mean, it would have been difficult, right? If I'd have had a brother or sister that never did anything wrong, I'd hate them. Exactly. <laughs> Easily. <laughs> Easily, right? Because it's, that's the nice thing about having numerous brothers and sisters Mom and dad don't know exactly who it could have been. But this case, Mary and Joseph knew one that it could not be, and that was Jesus. Oh, yeah, Jesus. Of course, not him, right? <laughs> and I'm wondering how much of that would have been just, again, those little things that would have been some sense of a, of a separator. You know, it's easy. Isn't it amazing how bitterness can just get in in the smallest of ways? But it says very simply, his brothers, the family, didn't believe Jesus. They thought he was nuts. That he was a maniac. He was an idiot. But that's not why Jesus is going to Nazareth. We can find it right away. Let's keep moving in our, in our text. Let's go back now to, to uh, Mark chapter five, 6. I'm sorry, Mark chapter 6. And let's, let's see what's going on now. They went 25 miles. And his disciples follow him. Now, last time, oh, we, you know what we're going to have to do? We're going to have to go back to the last time that Jesus was in Nazareth, right? Because that would be good. It would help us see what, what to expect. So let's go back to Luke chapter 4. Now, this would have been prior to, well, let's go to Luke chapter 4. I'm going to make sure I'm right. Luke chapter 4. And let's start in verse 14. Now, literally, if you're going to go to verses 1 
through 13 of Luke chapter 4, you would find what? You would find that it was the preparation of Jesus Christ. He went out at the Holy Spirit. Are you ready? The Holy Spirit. We said that every time we get to this. The Holy Spirit took Jesus out of the wilderness to be tempted of Satan. We've talked a lot about trials, haven't we, here? It's a, it's a common theme. How many of you enjoy trials? How many sign up for trials? How many love trials? How many want more trials? No, of course, none of us. We're shaking our head no, side to side, right? But you know what? God uses those trials to make us better. God uses those trials to make us just a little bit more like Jesus. There's just a little bit of good in all of that bad. In fact, there's a whole lot of good in it. Not something we clamor for, nothing something that we're really excited about, but after the fact, you turn around and say, whoa, I saw God in a bigger way. Think of Job. One morning he wakes up, and it's another morning. He wakes up, he's praying to God, and by the end of that day, he has lost literally everything. And he said, the Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, that's a man. I'm, I'm going to say that. That's a man that's focused on God. It wasn't about stuff. Isn't that cool? And there's so much of us today that it's so stuff-related. We've got to have our stuff to be fulfilled. You know, Job wasn't one of those guys. And I, I can't get bogged down. You notice I've been bogging down. I just can't, just can't get this traction. But you know, by the end of the book of Job, you know what? God was bigger than he'd ever been in Job's life. And you know what brought that? Trials. Satan thought he was going to ruin Job. That's a really cool thing. God will never let us in a, worse, in, a, in a bad enough situation that if we trust him, that we don't come out better. Never. We can count on that. Isn't that great? As tough as it gets. Now, there's been some tough days in the last couple of years for a lot of us. A lot of us. Here's the cool thing. God is making you better through those events. You see him clearer. You see him as bigger. You see your problems as literally smaller when you believe God. You know, you know what I haven't said? This power that we're talking about today that is incredibly powerful. It's incredibly powerful. Are you ready now? Never say it this way. Unbelief is powerful. Unbelief sends people to hell. Unbelief sends people and loving sin. Unbelief sends them to Satan. Jesus is only on two occasions ever talked about as being amazed. In all of his walks, in all of the Gospels, there's only two times that it says Jesus was amazed or astonished. One of them was the centurion, the Gentile centurion. Jesus said, I am amazed at this Gentile's faith. It was like, a, it was like Jews, would you pay attention here? Would you, would you look for a second? Here's a Gentile that shouldn't even know me, and he has more faith than I've seen anywhere else. That was one. You know what the second one was? We read it in verse 5. Jesus, let's read. I, I'm, do you see, I, can't, I can't stop by saying because this is so important for us. Unbelief is everywhere in America today. And let's take, oh, we're in Luke. I can't do that yet. Stop. I've got you all wound up and we can't even do it. But somebody, remind me when we didn't go back to Mark, I want to show you the other time that Jesus is amazed. But first of all, I want to go to Nazareth, the first time that Jesus shows up there in his ministry. He's just come back from the wilderness. He's been there for 40 days and nights. Because <laughs> you know what happens to me when I wake up at 2 or 3 in the morning? I want a snack. And Jesus, he was 40 days and 40 nights without anything to eat. Whoa! Now that's someone that is using fasting in preparing his soul, preparing his heart, preparing everything that he was with his father. Isn't that something? Satan tried his, he 
tried the best stuff imaginable. What would you, t- just Satan is really not that clever. He's not that hard to figure out. So you've got somebody that's been fasting now for 40 days and 40 nights. What would be your first temptation? Food, right? <laughs> if you do this, I'll give you food. <laughs> and Jesus responded. And this is, again, this is super important. Every single time he tempted him three times. And every single time Jesus said, I think, I say, no, the word of God says. That's what I told this man last night. From 11 o'clock till midnight, we're in the book. I said, just read the Bible. I want, read the Bible. The Holy Spirit works through his word. He will bring you peace. He will bring you comfort. He will direct your life from reading the Bible. And Jesus used the word as his defense against Satan. We should do the same. Use the word of God. Don't try, oh, well, I'm tough. No, only the word of God is capable of being able to ward off Satan's wiles and strategies. Now, the first thing that happens after that is this right here. So let's dive in. Luke chapter 4, we're going to start now in verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. Where did he return from? The temptations of Satan. Okay? And there went out a fame of him throughout all the region round about. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. And he came to Nazareth. This is hometown. He's just been tested. Now he's come back to Nazareth. There's a reputation, you can tell, and in, in, in he's, he's, he's been in synagogues. He would be viewed as a rabbi, if you will. And here he's come to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for it to read. So he's in hometown, he's in the synagogue in Nazareth. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. When he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because, of he, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach the deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book. Now, what you don't know probably is in that passage in Isaiah chapter 61, it's, don't we like to finish verses? Have you noticed that? If, you, if, if you're going to read, read the whole verse, right? He stopped in the middle of a section now, it probably wasn't even delineated by verse, by verse numbers in that text of the manuscript you're reading. But the point is, it, he stopped in the middle of a thought. Don't you hate that? It must have been really abrupt. That's not a long reading, by the way. He gets up, he reads that, and closes the manuscript. I don't think it was like that, but whatever. But it, he's done. He sits down. What's he doing? Well, what he had just described was literally he was that person. He was the Messiah. That's what he's stating. That's what he said right there. Now, will you believe me? That's the question. Everything that Jesus does, every time you pick up the Word of God, every time you read the Gospels, literally is there for us to believe Him. Now, you can either believe or you cannot believe. There's a fine line in between. If you've noticed, we'll go back in a little bit and check some of these things. When Jesus performed a miracle, like the power over disease, because, I mean, that's, let's say that you were Jairus' family's friend, and here comes this guy you've never seen before, and Jairus' daughter died. They, they were having a funeral for her. 
And here comes this guy that Jairus comes up. And there's, and there's some other guys with him, some disciples. There's, you know, well, what's going on? And, and all of a sudden, Jesus said, well, she's, and, you know, we laughed at him. What do you mean she's not dead? Of course she's dead. We have her in a funeral here, moron. And Jesus said, no, she's just sleeping. It's like, you know, we just laughed him to scorn. And he goes into the house, he and his three, those, that inner circle, Peter, James, and John. We go into this room, or they go into this room, and pretty soon, the girl comes out with them. You see, now you're in a, you're in a very, what happens, first of all, is you just take that in, and you're astonished. You will see this all through the Gospels, that most crowds of people of which Jesus worked miracles came away amazed and astonished. That's, a, that, that, that's, not, that's not responding in faith. I want you to be clear about that. There's curiosity and there's astonishment. What is this? That's a very small place, a very fine line. What are you going to do with that? Because there's only believe and non-believe. There's no middle ground. You didn't get to heaven by sort of believing, and you didn't go to hell by sort of not believing. Because if you don't believe, that means you're unbelieving. There's no middle ground. But that's what a miracle does. It attests what Jesus was saying. Isn't that amazing? Let's go to John. I was just saying, this verse is pop. Let's go to John 3.16 for a moment. I mean, the verse you know, everybody knows John 3.16. So let's read the verse behind it. Let's go get in your Bibles. John chapter 3, and let's start in verse 16. Wow, what a gift, huh? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, what's the word? Believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. See how it works? Are you starting to see the power of unbelief? Think of that. When someone chooses not to believe, he's condemned. A lot of people think they go to hell for what they've done, the sins they've committed. And it's really their unbelief. Absolutely right. It's, it's, it's believe or not believe. Let's, look at, let, let's walk through some of these. Now, don't let me... We're not done even here, but boy, this is going to be fun. We're not going to get done today. It's going to be so much fun, right? We're going to have to say postpone till next week. We're going to keep going. Just for your, we're going to keep rolling. All right. You got dinner on? No, I'm kidding. Okay. So, now I totally lost that thought. Let's, let's walk through unbelief. Where's the first time you see unbelief in the Bible? Adam and Eve. What was the unbelief factor? Where was it at? Satan is so good. It's the same story for you. You know what? When you have a problem, the first thing that Satan wants to throw at you the world system will throw at you. And don't miss this. You are influenced by a world system that Satan controls. That's why people jump out of buildings that lose their stock market portfolios. That's a world system that places more faith, more belief in what I have or power. When they lose power, they shoot themselves. That's a whole world system that wants you to believe something that will take you straight to hell. Now, here's Adam and Eve living... How much more fun and beautiful could it be in the Garden of Eden? I mean, it's awesome. Right? It's great. I don't even know how to describe it for you. It's so good. Then in the afternoons, you, have, you walk with God. Oh, my goodness. 
And today we can't look on God because he's so amazingly pure and holy. We can't even imagine. We don't even know what that would be like. And Adam and Eve walked with this same God that we will worship and glorify forever in an afternoon. Oh, my goodness. And here comes Satan. Here he comes. It's like he always does. Did God really say? Does God really care about you? I mean, are you kidding me? You mean that one tree, he won't let you eat of that? What's he thinking? Well, of course I know what he's thinking. He doesn't want you to know what would happen if you ate of that tree. You're going to get wise. You're going to be like God. You're going to be your own God. How am I doing? Almost sounds sinister though, doesn't it? She bought a hook, line, and sinker. What, what was the deal? She didn't believe what God said. He said, don't eat of that tree because you will die. See, that's just, that's just what it is. Do we believe God or are we not to believe God? Abram, it says in, I think it's Romans chapter 4, verse 25, Abram believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. When you believe Jesus Christ died for your sins and it's the only way for you to be relieved of it, that is belief. That ends up in eternal salvation. So look where Adam and Eve's unbelief came. What did it do? It cast all of humankind into the throes of eternal damnation, left to that condition. Ooh, that's pretty serious unbelief, isn't it? How about those Israelites who were traipsing across the wilderness for 40 long years? You know what got them there? Unbelief. They said, oh, we can't go there. I mean, they're, they're big, they're giants, they're huge, and we are just, we're just, yeah, we're just grasshoppers. You know what? I'd rather have God on my side as a grasshopper than a giant without it. <laughs> that makes the it's an equalizer, isn't it? And you know what? They they literally died in the wilderness, died in the desert because they chose to disbelieve God. Is that are you starting to see the power of unbelief? Not in a good way. It, it literally are, are you ready? Unbelief shuts God down. He cannot work where unbelief is present because he gave us a free will. If he would not have allowed Eve to make a stupid decision like that, what would have he called Eve? My robot. God's not like that. He loves us. Love is reciprocating. If you love someone, you don't clamp them to say exactly what you want them to say. That's not love. Think about individuals. I think of Joshua as he took over for, uh, for Moses. He's got a big job. Oh, how would you like to be Joshua on that day? Moses, my mentor, my master, the guy that I really looked up to, and he's gone. And God's come to you, Joshua, and, you, and says, okay, Joshua, be strong, be of a courageous mind, be, just be strong and be courageous. This is about four or five times in those few verses. I wonder if he wanted you to be strong and courageous. I don't know, I thought so, right? And you need that because you're Joshua trying to fill really big boots. It's like that. Have you ever seen those little kids? They're about two years old and they got dad's boots on and they're right up to their crotch almost and they can't really move. That's filling big boots, isn't it? That's what Joshua must have felt like. And they went into the promised land. And he's following God's orders. And the first victory was amazing. Jericho. I mean, doing weird stuff like walk around the city once a day, and then the seventh day, go around seven times, and all the wall fell down. Okay. <laughs> all right. Are you skeptical? Joshua, what? Catch it now. He believed God. 
Because that's exactly what they did. And guess what? That's exactly what happened. And then they just plow on to the next battle. And there was somebody, somebody by the name of Achan, A-C-H-A-N. And you know what Achan's sin was? Unbelief. Because God had said very clearly through John, don't take anything because it belongs to God. You'll have your stuff on the next or the next mission. Achan said, ooh, that looks good. Uh, why, why, would you, why would you steal something from God that you couldn't wear in public? That's just dumb, isn't it? And you really can't show him all the stuff you stuff. Oh, wait a minute. That's off limits. So he, li- he literally took stuff from God, and I was saying from God. I want to be sure of that. The only reason they were in that position was because God gave them the city. God gave them the city. And then he took stuff from God, and he really can't even show anybody. That is dumb. That is the sin. Again, what is the sin? Unbelief. Didn't believe God. I look at, I look at Samson. There's a man that was a, took Nazarite, right? He didn't cut his hair. There was a lot of things revolving around that that Samson just blew off. He didn't listen to God. Do you see what unbelief cost Samson? I could go on. I could go into people's lives in our own, our own time frame today in 2022. <laughs> I'm so used to saying 2021. I still can't get over it. Are we not moving at a high rate of speed? We're almost in March. Crazy, right? Well, anyway, in 2022, you know what? People's lives are a disaster because they don't believe God. Unbelief is amazingly powerful. Mark that down. Unbelief is so powerful, I can't begin to tell you. Someone that rejects truth, that's unbelief. You want to go to where America is today? I'm not going to go there today, but Romans chapter 1, starting about verse 18, verse 16. We are right in the throes of not believing God. And there's an end result to that. Anytime we choose not to believe God, whether we're a Christian or not, and that doesn't mean that you, just if you accepted Christ, you've seen what he's done, but you know what? We still have those instances, hopefully rare, that we don't do what we know God wants us to do. You know what? It ends in tragedy. Unbelief is a very, very powerful thing. Let's go back to this, because we're going to have to hurry now. Don't you love it when we get in a hurry? Luke chapter 4, we're not going to. You've noticed that about me. So he sits down, verse 20, we're in chapter 4 of Luke. Jesus is in Nazareth. This is his first time as the ministry is beginning to open up, if you will, to blossom. He says he closed the book. He gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all of them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, he's, now he's almost, he's speaking to them. This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. He's basically saying, I am the Messiah. And all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, this is another thing. We're going to start to find out how people respond to truth. Now, that was truth. Any questions? He's in hometown. One of the things we find about unbelief is it obscures the obvious. What do I mean by that? This is pretty interesting. You have a man that, yeah, he's from Nazareth. Yes, we know him. He has just 
unfolded the scriptures and he said, the scripture today is fulfilled in me. I am that Messiah. Now, this is where unbelief starts to come from, is you want to obscure what is real, what is true. And the words that he spoke, the sermons that they've heard, the rabbi portion of it, the healings, all of that is just beginning to take place. He has fame throughout the region. Do you believe it or don't believe it? Watch what they say. Is this not Joseph's son? Like, he's the carpenter. He's nothing. He's, he's, like, he's nobody. He, they live down there on Carpenter Street. He's at the end of the road. This is his son. In other words, means he's a carpenter. Joseph taught, taught him how to carpentry, right? To build, to make stuff. There's some sense that they would make yokes and plows. I mean, that's, that's an old Jewish hearsay kind of a thing. Okay? Anything wrong with that? No, of course not. But what does that matter in what the truth that's been revealed? That's what happens from unbelief. It, looking at stupid stuff. Is that not right? Show me somebody that doesn't believe about Jesus Christ and it's something that's really off the wall. Makes no sense. That's what happens. That's, think, think of how Satan got Eve to, to, to sin. Who cares about that tree? God is taking full care of us. We have nothing. We need, we, ha, we need nothing. He's fully in charge of loving us and taking care of us. If he says not to eat of that tree, I'm going to trust him. Let's not eat of that tree. That would have been the message, right? Right? Because he's looking out for us. He knows what's best for us. Let's keep going. I mean, this is going to get violent now. I mean, these guys... Describe the crowd for me now. They're in the synagogue. Jesus has read that passage. He sat down and he described, he said, today that scripture is fulfilled in me. He's basically said, I am the Messiah. And the group is saying, describe the group for me. Did you hear what he just said? Praise God, right? That's what should have happened. It happened in Nazareth. This Jesus, who's Joseph's son, which really isn't even his physical. You're going to watch this in the next play. They don't call him the son of Joseph. They call him the son of Mary. We'll talk about that in a moment. Isn't this amazing? And they say, I think this is just Joseph's son. Something's mixed up here. Let's keep going. He said to them in verse 23, You will surely say unto me this proverb, Physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. And he said, Verily, I say unto you, No prophet is accepted in his own country. Isn't that absolutely true? <laughs> but I tell you of a truth, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, when great famine was throughout all of the land. But none of them was Elijah sent, save unto Sarepta, a city of Sidon, which was a Gentile city, unto a woman that was a widow. Now, what's he saying here? What is he, just, what is he, what is he asking them to do after saying, he's, he, he reads that passage of Scripture, which talks about the Messiah coming. He sits down and he says, today that Scripture is fulfilled. What is he asking them to do? To believe. And they basically, by saying, this is Joseph's son. That's unbelief. And then what he says next, what, this is going to get really, really messy in about two more verses. He says this. You know, you remember Elijah? And how many widows do you think were scattered across Israel? There was a lot of them. You know, just let your mind work. But why did they have the drought from the first time? 
because they didn't believe God. You got this King Ahab and his super wife, Jezebel, and they are running the country into the dirt. There's more Baal prophets than there is prophets of God. They've chosen to disbelieve God, and that's where we have the drought. And he's saying this, you know what? All of those widows in Israel, and yet God saw fit for Elijah to go out of the country to a Gentile woman and her son. And then he talks about Elisha, same thing. And what he's saying is this. Just like you right now are choosing not to believe, God went to some widow, in Elijah's case, that would believe and has left Israel Israel in the, in the dust. Watch what they do. You have now got a group that was asking questions in unbelief. Watch now. Let's, let's finish verse 27. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, saving Nahum, Naaman, I'm sorry, Naaman the Syrian. Watch verse 28. <laughs> Are you ready? Hang on to your seats. And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, in other words, Gentiles were more important to God than the Jews. And what's the difference? This is important. Belief. Will you not believe in me? Verse 29. And rose up, verse 29, thrust him out of the city and led him under the brow of the hill whereunto their city was built that they might cast him or throw him down the cliff. They're going to kill him. And he passing through the midst of them went his way. That's pretty cool, right? They've got him. They've got him. And, and, and if you think about Nazareth, I didn't talk a lot about this, but it actually sits on a rock pile. It's about a 60-acre rock pile. And off the edge of it is enough of a cliff that you can throw something off. You can throw Jesus off and kill him. So now think of this. They have him. They're dragging him out of the synagogue, and they go to this, and all of a sudden he's gone. Where'd he go? That's a God thing. His time wasn't ready. But you know what, he, you know what happened right, right now? Nazareth as a whole on that first occasion has chosen not to believe Jesus. Powerful. Let's go to the second time, which we found now in Mark. Let's go back to Mark chapter 6. I'm not sure how you feel, but I may not go back to Nazareth again. What do you think? But Jesus is God. A year has taken place. A year has passed approximately. And Luke, whoops, no, not Luke. I hope I didn't tell you to go to Luke. Go to Mark chapter 6. And this is the second time he's back in Nazareth. He's come from Capernaum, his, his headquarters. Now, again, 25 miles today is way less in the sense of travel time or whatever than 25 miles in the day of Jesus. Okay? I mean, but at 25 miles still, rumors go. Messages fly. Truth can travel, Right? They've heard about Jesus now. They've seen him. They, they saw him at home, but they've also heard about him from other places. Let's check, let's check in now. Verse 2. When the Sabbath day, where's he at? He's in. He's in Nazareth. He's right there. Hometown. Hometown. From this, and when the Sabbath day was come, when's the last time we saw the Sabbath day in Nazareth? Back in Luke chapter 4. Watch this. He began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, and Jophus, and of Judah, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? It's almost the same thing all over again, isn't it? He presents 
facts, truth, reality that is amazing. They, and they didn't hear that from the Pharisees and scribes as they would have taught from that synagogue. This is over the top. This is real stuff. This is life-changing kind of things. And they ask, where did that come from? What would you say that answer is? From God. This is literally God, right? It's not hard. Unbelief obscures the obvious. It'll do it every time. And here they are. Look at the word now. They were astonished. Look what happens at the end of this, few, this short verse. These people are fickle, aren't they? You talk about bipolar. They were astonished in the verse 2. And by the end of verse 3, they were offended at him. What does that mean? Something was stopping them from believing. And you know what it was? The very essence of him growing up on Carpenter Avenue. Or Carpenter Street, I called it last time, right? They're letting something in the way of letting them believe. How many people today across America, people, friends, family, that you're aware of, that literally there's something, some little thing, some big thing that keeps them trusting Christ? They already made up their minds who he was. Yeah. Or how could they believe that he was anything else? Well, I saw him grow up for heaven's sake. Yeah, right. (laughs) Don't confuse me. Don't confuse me with the facts. (laughs) Now, it's amazing, though, too, how Satan will utilize this because it's all about God uh, doubting God's love for you. That, that, is, that is a major, major thing that Satan continues to... Let me give you an example. It, it, it's not countless people, but there's a lot of people that... I would say that they would call themselves atheists because either they don't want to God or A, they hate God. Okay? They hate God. And the reason is because they let my mother, they let my sister, they let my daughter, they let my son, they let my whomever die. And I hate him. That would be exactly what had happened, but it's a different way of offending. It's another stumbling block, if you will, from believing who Jesus is. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the one that died on a cross for our sins. You can either believe that, or you can unbelieve it. That's not right. Because, Because if you unbelieve, it doesn't make it less truthful. You can not believe. Do you see how strong unbelief is? It literally can take you right into hell when you choose to resist the truth. And I'm, that's a frightening thing. How long, do you consi- how long does it take for you to resist or deny the truth until finally God says, that's it? I think of the Pharaoh in Egypt, those ten plagues. What point was it? Where was that it? That was the end. It was over. Because he refused to believe what God said. There are people today that have probably crossed that line. I'm not, I'm not their judge. I'm, no, it's not anything like that. But when you continue to resist truth, when you continue to disbelieve what God says, there are consequences. We as a nation need to know that. There's a famine in this land of the Word of God. Can you believe? And this isn't, this isn't, this isn't making fun. It took me an hour last night. Maybe I'm that bad a teacher, I don't know. Over the phone to get this man that's searching to get him to the gospel of John. He found first John, second John, third John many times, but we could not get to the gospel of John. That's a famine in the land. Isn't that something? But God was willing to be interrupted last night. He just kept working, and pretty soon he started reading me some verses out of none other than John 3. John 3.16. This man across the country that I'm sharing with 
Isn't that? Now, he had to do something. Do I believe it? Or do I not believe it? See, today, America as a whole is not believing what God has said. Isn't it sad? Do you see the power of unbelief? We are in the grips of it. Our leaders today are there because of unbelief in God. I can't say it any other way. That's what it is. We don't get there unless we do not believe what God has said is truth. We throw God out of public schools. Can't have the Bibles in there. You can't pray in there. What is that? Not believing God. There are consequences of that. At some point, God is going to say, have your own way. In fact, it says in Romans chapter 1, three different places, he gave them over. We're in a stage, I believe in America, God is giving us over. Are we going to get it right? Are we going to, are we going to, are we going to get this right? <laughs> yeah. What will we believe? They had to destroy that tool, for that the Bible for learning and everything else, because with that in the schools, everybody would still uh, understand the truth. Exactly, exactly right. That's the foundation. That's the basic structure. Most people won't read. No, and, and that, it's amazing. You know, people that get saved, it's usually early in their life. Early in their life. You can't start learning Scripture. Have you noticed, if you're of my age, it's really hard to memorize? <laughs> when you were in first grade, it was easy, wasn't it? You could just remember stuff. And now, oh, right. And, and us older, we're just, right, I got it. You know what? Immerse yourself in God's Word. I don't care if you're young or old, but immerse yourself in God's Word. As Ryan has just aptly pointed out, when when the Bible had left the schools, when it had left the home. Now, that's the other thing. Unfortunately, just because the parents allowed it to leave in the schools, it had probably left the home already. Let's think about it. Because if it wasn't important enough at home, it's easy. Who cares? It'll be okay. Let them think for themselves. Have you ever heard that? Oh, my goodness. You see why we're here, where we are today? And it's because of, watch it, mark it, mark it, because we didn't believe. You, know, you go through Deuteronomy, and, 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 and granted, yes, it's God's chosen people, but he's no different. And you know what he wanted Moses to do? And the families of those, those fathers, he wanted to continually, day and night, tell the children about God. And relay all of those things that the Bible, what they had as their Bible, to tell their families from this high up. It's amazing how a little child, and I'm talking one and two, they're starting to get a concept, right? You tell them about God, guess what? The way they're built, the way God made them, the way their DNA has been because God created human beings in his image. That they literally can grasp a God. You've got to get to be older and dispute and disbelieve what God has created to be able to not believe there's a God. Your equipment doesn't come that way. It's amazing, a two-year-old, how they can grasp that. Right? Isn't it amazing? And the world corrupts them. Most of the time, through doubt. You can't believe God. He doesn't love you. Look at this. Right? I could go... Whew. We we got to keep moving, don't we? That's what that's the message here. Why did Eve say to God? You know, he said, "Well, Satan meant to eat it, but then Eve added, we're not to touch it.' When God didn't tell her that, God did not tell her that. Um, I would I would say this: Did Eve mean anything by that? 
I, here, here, here's what I'm saying is when you are told something, in other words, uh, Satan through the, through this disguise as a serpent comes to her and said, did God really do that? Did he really say that? And then it's almost like we can say something and add to that. Yeah. We're not supposed to eat it. And you know, maybe not even touch it. You, you see what I'm saying? It's almost like we make it worse when we feel that we're slighted. Now, I don't know if she had an agenda. I don't know. But the, the point of the matter is, that's not what God said. Now, what does that tell us? Make sure you know what God said. Get in his word. And you know what's amazing? I, and, I keep, I, and you were in the banking business previously. But as your tellers, you didn't give them counterfeit money. They just counted real stuff. You just read the word of God. And guess what? When something that's counterfeit comes across your mind, boom, you know it. You know it. Today, we're fooling with so many counterfeits in the sense of truth in this country and in all of the news agencies and whatever you want to say. We don't even know the truth because we've thrown God's word out. It's got to stop. And Eve didn't really even care what God said at that point. I don't think it mattered because she was buying hook, line, and sinker what Satan was laying out there. And she had chosen to disbelieve God, so it didn't really matter what God said anyway. Isn't that amazing what happens to us? That's right. It was all about me, wasn't it? Right. That was exactly where the me movement began, was in the Garden of Eden. I want to be like God. And that's, in fact, that's exactly what did it, is when she looked at the fruit, she held the fruit, and she saw it was good to eat, and we could be like God, it was over. Isn't that true? Look at anything that we do. When we're self-centered, who's, who's in control? Self. We're in trouble. You know what we've chosen to do? We've chosen to watch it again, not believe. Unbelief is really, really powerful. You put a, if, if you, oh, we, we don't have it on the board here today, but two or three weeks ago we talked about, you know, we, we, we have that the sense of a test. It can either be a trial that God uses to make us stronger or it's a temptation that Satan uses to tear us down. And how you view that, how you respond to that is the difference. But any time that we go from the temptation, and temptation in and of itself is not sin. But when we are, remember how it says? When we're lured in by our own lust, and who's in charge of lust is self. Every single time, it's about me. You know what we've chosen not to do? We've chosen not to believe God. Absolutely. Absolutely. You bet. Smell the good, right? Yeah. It's all on our senses. Yeah, it it is, and that's the way we're built. Because, ready? Just think. Just think of the power of unbelief. What Ernie has just led us into is if Eve had not disbelieved God, our senses wouldn't be tainted. We wouldn't be under sin's control. We wouldn't be under damnation. You talk about power and unbelief. Look what it cost Jesus Christ to give a way out of unbelief. My goodness, right? Are you starting to see how important it is for people to believe? It's really amazing. Where are we at? Let's keep moving. We call it pro-choice today. (laughs) 
If I don't believe God, then I got to believe something, right? <laughs> and, I, and you know what? You know what that if says? I'm going to prove what I want to believe. Right. Exactly. <laughs> That's the pro part, right? My choice. Well, you may as well call it what it is. It's a me choice. You can choose what sex you are. You can. You can do anything. What color your hair is. Doesn't matter. Doesn't, My choice. Nothing right? matters. It's up to me. Now you talk about not believing God. That whole methodology is cranked up and and just ripping, isn't it? It's in high gear. It's in overdrive, isn't it? Oh, I haven't followed any notes today. I, I don't know. This is good. It's, have you guys had fun? It's been fun. Okay, let's keep going. Where were we at in Mark chapter 6? Verse 3. Verse 3. Oh, they were offended at him. Okay. Um, there was something. Where were we going to go? What, did somebody remember where we were going to go? You were going to take me to somewhere else? Remember that? Where were we going to go? Okay, nobody can remember it. No problem. We're not supposed to remember it. Let's go to verse 4. Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country. That's kind of what he said back in Luke chapter 4. And among his own kin, and in his own house. Watch verse 5. This, this, this is a tragedy, this verse. And he could, there, he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands on a few sick folk, and he healed them. You know, uh, speaking of your kin and your hometown, a lot of people get saved and witness witnessing to your own family is the worst. Absolutely. That's the hardest thing to Absolutely. Ever do. Absolutely. Because there is another thing about unbelief is it assaults the messenger. And especially when someone that got saved in a situation that's maybe just out of the blue. That person is persecuted. Now, it's not because of them. It's because of the message. That's what Jesus said numerous times. He said, the world hated me before it's hated you. Absolutely true. What Ernie says, absolutely true. Unbelief always assaults the messenger. Always. You know what? I, there was a verse I didn't read, and it's perfect. Because the next verse I'm going to read to you is one other time. Remember the first time that Jesus was amazed? And that was the centurion, right? Gentile centurion. His faith. And Jesus, I had not seen faith like this. He was amazed. And what if we just got, we've just left this group. They're offended to him. He, on, did you watch verse 5? Literally, they shut him down. They shut God down because they would not believe in him or any of his message. And here, mark this again. Was that a power problem? In other words, was that a Jesus? Was that Jesus' lack of power? No, no, no. A thousand times no. Because miracles are purpose-driven. The purpose was the problem because if they wouldn't believe in Nazareth and he's just revealed to them truth, there's no point. Miracles have no point whatsoever. Now watch this, verse 6. And he marveled because of their unbelief. I wonder if God is marveling about our nation's unbelief today. It's marveling to me. I, it blows my mind. Look at what unbelief has done to our world. You can't even measure it, can you? 
It's so, yes. God is in charge. God's will is number one. Couldn't get there. Now, see, that, that's interesting. Let's talk about that for a moment. You remember, remember, now, in Nazareth, there's no crowds. Well, first of all, 500 people, uh, yeah, you know, it's not that big a place. But let's read, but there's nobody there. He goes to the synagogue, reads it, sits down, the synagogue, well, and then he says that I'm that guy, I'm that Messiah. What? You're just Joseph's kid, right? Unbelief. Let's go back for a moment. Let's tie into your point. Let's go back to Capernaum. Let's go back to the sea. Let's go back to where there's crowds just thronging on them. We could go back and we could find they were astonished. They were amazed. In fact, most places, the people are amazed. Nothing is said about Jesus. Here, the people are not amazed, and God is amazed. Jesus is amazed at their unbelief. That's a statement. I can't even build on that. It's so amazing that God was amazed at their unbelief. How much more can I give you and you're still not following and believing? But here's, here's the thing I want to say. How many of those people were at the Sea of Galilee, not because they believed Jesus, but because they wanted stuff? They wanted a free meal. He'd done it a couple times. Hey, let's go down to Jesus' restaurant. He just makes it out of nothing. It's amazing and it's really good. And there's even leftovers. Or, you know, I need, I got this, I got this really bad arm and I'd like to get it fixed. That's right. And see, that's not believing Jesus. That's using Jesus. Or simply be there to be entertained. That's another one. The circus is in town, guys. Let's yeah. go. Yeah. And what do you think the Pharisees get? Show us a sign. Yeah. Well, how many more? Well, how many, <laughs> were they not? Were they not there, or what? When when you've got do something. You know, you're raising somebody from the dead. But there's so many people today. You make a great point. There's so many people that don't want to believe Jesus. They just want to use Jesus. I've never said it that way before. That's that. that that's but exactly right, isn't it? See that? See how that system is just intertwining, and see what the motive is: is to have you not believe that God is loving to you. That's that's the biggest lie. That is absolutely the biggest lie. You're going through troubles. You're going through difficulties. Whatever whatever it is, you don't have what you need in your mind. It's amazing what God thinks we need and what we think we need. That is not the same list. Have you noticed? But here's the deal: God loves you more than you can possibly know. And when you doubt that, then you just think about the fact that God didn't owe us anything. And for him to take Jesus Christ, the Son of God, send him to a world that hated him. Are you you catching this? He's healing people and they hate him. It's crazy. He hung on a cross from 9 o'clock in the morning till 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Three hours of that where his relationship with God the Father was broken. Darkness ruled over the world. Because of that separation between God the Father and God the Son. He bore the sins of the entire world, it tells us. And he is hanging there in grief and agony for us. That should seal the deal. He loves us beyond measure. Unrivaled. That's not a word. Unrivaled in the sense of love. Isn't that true? And then, and then I, this, this kind of stuff just gets me going. But you'll have a professor stand in front of a classroom of kids. If there was really a God, why didn't he come down here right now and just strike lightning right there? That's an idiot. 
You are so fortunate, Mr. Professor, that God has given you another moment for you to become humble before a very awesome God and get saved. Because if God was going to show you himself, you would be smoked. I'm way on fire today. Is it too long probably for you? Isn't there a professor a couple of years ago that got knocked off the desk by a student when he said, if there was really a God, he'd knock me off this desk? I don't know. I don't know. And the student went ahead and took God's place for a second or two? Is that what it is? He walked up and knocked him down and said, does God really exist? <laughs> They just told me to do that. I, I don't know. I just felt the power of God. That's pretty cool. I, I hadn't heard I haven't heard that. Yes, Leslie. So I'm thinking about the relationship between pride and unbelief. Um, pride will never allow belief. So but at the same they're very closely related, okay. But you think of you think of Eve. Let's go back to Eve. Now, a, Eve was probably the well the most untainted human being of all time, her and Adam, because they were recreated. They were in a sinless environment, and so what happened first? I have to say the disbelief. Okay. Now the pride part came. It was quick. You, you follow? I mean, it's, they're they're almost mutually appearing at the same time. But I go back to Eve, who is the first one that fell to disbelief, and literally she bought Satan's lie. She doubted God. When you doubt God, then you don't believe him. And then when she, the, 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 the decision she made, let's think about it. What was her decision? It was based on pride. I'm more important than anything else. That's right. Exactly right. So they were all, but I think in our, in our Leslie right now today, I think disbelief comes from pride. Pride is part of this package, this human nature thing that we got when Eve and Adam sinned. That pride comes... You, it's amazing. You take, let's go back to those little kids. It's just part of the package. They are, that's mine, mine, right? You, you can just, right? And it, it, it's all about me, even at a, just a little kid, right? So I think the pride is ingrained. And even it, it's, it's one of the hardest things for, for us, even. When you analyze where you're at in your walk with Jesus, pride is so amazingly strong and pervasive, isn't it? It's everywhere. So I actually think pride today, because of, because of the sin nature, that literally that's why unbelief is so easy for us, because of our pride. Because if, you, if, if you're all consumed with you and you're prideful, we don't need to believe anything that wouldn't be best for us from our perspective. That's right. That's ex- ex- fact, fact, what you just said, that, see, that verse, that concept... You can't be saved unless you humble yourself because what you're saying when you trust Christ as Savior is, I can't do it. I'm not strong enough. I'm not whatever enough. And that means you literally have to humble yourself in the, at, at God's presence, crying out, be merciful to me, a sinner. Remember that? You know, that's, that's slaying pride to be saved. You can't be saved if, you're, if you have pride. And that's the key component in, this, in, the, in the human nature downfall. But that's a great question, which is, a, I think they're just so much together. But I think pride is still, that, that's, that's the fixture. That's the foundation. And pride never wants to believe God. Never wants to believe God. Pride is the, is the enemy of all things. Pride even disguises itself as humility. Yes. In a person who yes. says, yes. I'm so bad, I can't be forgiven. That's right. Or that's, I, that's pride. Yeah, I, ser- I served on a church board uh, many years ago. And there was, there was two members, one 
that was very prideful, very arrogant, very abrasive. I mean, you know how we would see it, that arrogance. And there was another man on the same board that was, had a false sense of humility that I called pride. He ran himself down, but the point was is he was still in the limelight. See, that's how deceptive pride is. It can, it can have many faces, but if it's still about me, if that is still putting me in the circle of limelight, it's still pride. You see what I'm saying? Because humility is not thinking less of yourself. That's key. That's key. Not thinking less of yourself. You're just not thinking about yourself at all. That's true humility. Isn't that, and that, and what a better place to meet God than that. Let's just talk about Jesus. You know, like this, this guy last night, I keep coming back because it's so fresh in my mind. He just wanted to talk about the problems. He wanted to talk about his wife and he wanted to talk about... I said, for right now, I said, just stop. Just stop. Let's just get your Bible. Let's talk about what God wants to do with you. What does Jesus want you to do? That's what's important. That's where he works. He starts on us. If we're interested in changing other people, that never works. Isn't it amazing that doesn't work? But what can God do to me? What does God want to me? Just open his word and just let it soak. Just soak. And some days you read that passage of scripture and nothing happens. And the next time it's like, wow, I did not see that before. That's the Holy Spirit using his word to direct your path. I have no idea how we got here, but it's been fun. I don't even know if we should try to wrap this up or not. I mean, it's... it's let me just... Yes. Go ahead. I, I'm a little hung up on... Don't we all want to use God or use Jesus? We're all... Tell me what that looks like. Tell me what that looks like. I'm hung up on the word use. Use. Okay. I don't want to think I'm using God to try to better tell, myself. T- tell me what use looks like. T- give me an example. Just let, let's work through that. Because this is important. Use. Let, let, me, let me play it and I'll see if it, if it works, okay? You, you keep thinking, okay? So in other words, okay, this, is, this, this might be the way a prayer goes. Well, hi, hey, God, I'm just going to check in with you. And maybe you guys don't pray. I, I just talk to God. We talk all day long. I mean, I would, it just, there's, there's times it's, thank you, God, that was cool. That was really cool. God, what are you doing right now? I do not know what to do with this problem, right? Okay, it, so it can be all, but let's just say the prayer goes like this. You know what, God, I'm... I, I just want to, I'm going to be really good today because, well, there's something I really want. That's used. That's used. See, you caught it. So in other words, we're, we're trading. See, we're, we, we, we're not really in love with God. Oh, that, that, this is going to work out. Are you in love with God or are you just using him? Are you using a relationship to just get stuff? That's exact. Now, that's using God, the way, the way Ernie said that. Okay, does that make sense? Okay, that's, that's what I want to get across. Now, in the fact of how God supplies your needs, no, no, that's not using God. See, we've been talking about the Lord's Prayer, or in more aptly, the disciples' prayer, right? And as you think about I love this. this. It just is resonating through me. Give us this day our daily bread. That's talking, you know what? You need to be in communion with him every single day about all of your stuff because he wants to hear from you. He's providing. You're not using him. He's providing, and he loves to hear from us. He, he wants us to rely on Absolutely. Because when we're relying on him, God is so big, so unbelievably awesome. 
Not because we're trying to get stuff from. See, did you see this crowd? Like after he fed, after Jesus fed the 4,000 or the 5,000, whichever. They just, what, what, can you give us, how about tomorrow? Can we get a meal? That's using Jesus. But when we're reliant on him, he's supplying our needs. Do you see the difference? And it's based on this. Jesus Christ loved you so much that he spread his arms on a cross and died for you. Do we love Jesus? And when we love Jesus, we're committed. And that's what he's asking us today. All of us in this room today are here in the year 2022 because God wants us to be here in 2022. He's got stuff for us to do. He's got journeys and steps for us to walk. The key is, it's not for us to just be here, but being committed to him here. That's why at the end of our prayer, we always see, not my will, but Absolutely. Absolutely. And the perfect example, we have the greatest example in the world. That's why we're kind of studying the gospel, or we're looking at Jesus. Literally, here's, here's Jesus. He knows what's in front of him. He knows there's a cross. He, he's never felt crucifixion before, and he knows what it's going to feel like. He knows what that sin burden is going to be. I don't think, now mark this, I do not believe he had any idea how terrible it would be when literally when God, his father, had to turn his back on himself for three hours because he was wearing sins. The first time that son was ever, ever tainted, contaminated with sin, he died with it. I don't think he knew what that felt like. Or would even know. And you know what he said? If this cup, if this time could pass for me, but not my will, yours be done. What if Jesus had, call, had, had, whatever you want to call it, given up, walked away, said, it's not worth it, I can't take this. We couldn't be here today. We'd be lost. Think of that. That's the love of Jesus Christ. And when we love him, we would never even think of using him. I think of a husband-wife relationship where they're using each other, right? You know the difference. You know what's absent? True love. And especially agape love. That is, you know what? I'm going to love you no matter what. That's really literally the difference. Is that, is, did that help? Excuse me? Yes. That is absolutely true. I, and that's one of the things, I think that's how we've, in fact, we could go to Romans chapter 1, and we could find where literally the point of which those even that believe truth when they stop living truth is when they cease to be thankful to God for what they have. I think man's will is to use God, and spiritual maturity understands that God's will is to use man. That's right. Yeah, And doing it for his glory and for our good. That's the other thing. He'll never take you down a pathway that's not right for you. It may seem wrong for a time or two. What do you think about Job about midstream? Oh, my goodness. I actually was paid a compliment. There's a, there's, there's, there's a woman that uh, I do some business with, and she does not know Jesus personally, I, and at least not to my knowledge, okay? Doesn't care about anything. <laughs> some of the stuff that's been going on in the last year, she knows a lot about it. And she said, good night, Larry. Should I just call, start calling you Job? And I thought, that's really cool. <laughs> Here's, so she must know something, right? <laughs> See, and God's using those moments. Now, again, I, didn't, I, I don't say it's under the fun factor, right? It's not there. But you know what? As long as God's got me where he wants me, I can be extremely comfortable knowing that I'm right where he needs me to be. Amen. That storm that I'm in the middle of, let's, let's go back to the Sea of Galilee. And it's crazy, life-threatening, and you're, you're, you've given up. 
But that storm where you wanted to go, the storm has taken you somewhere else. But guess what? God has it right where you need to be. That's exactly right. And the end is as clear as possible because we know that we're dependent on the consequences of trusting Jesus Christ. I think we're going to leave it right there. I have no idea where we're going to end, but that's for today. That's where we're going to go. Now, let me just ask this question. Do you see the seriousness of unbelief? Isn't it crazy? We need to be very careful ourselves to believe God every single time. Let's pray. Father God, my, aren't you awesome, amazing, literally beyond belief, and how holy and righteous and true We just shake our heads not understanding in any sense of the word how great you are. Thank you, Father, for showing us today that literally the thing that can just stop, in this case, stop Jesus from really doing amazing, miraculous things was disbelief. Extremely powerful. Father, I lift up our nation literally lift up our world. I think of another example where Noah and his family were really the only ones that believed you and the entire world suffered from a flood that took their lives because of disbelief. You were patient. You were long-suffering, a better word, literally as Noah was building that ark for well over 100 years, saying the same message, will you believe me? Father, today you're asking the same questions. I pray for the famine that has plagued our land, the lack of the Bible, God's word across this land. Father, there are those, some of them right here gathered today, that have a job to do, putting action to belief. You, Father, will direct our paths as you said you would do. Father, we're here because we love you, and we want to be in the center of that will. Show us, help us, encourage us, strengthen us in our everyday walk, making a difference because of you living within us. Father, I pray that this week, as it unfolds, we would focus on you and we would be interested, Father, in doing what you want us to do. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for strengthening us today. Thank you for being here and instructing us, lifting us up, encouraging us, giving us the fuel we need to go through another week. Be with us in everything that we do and say that, Father, you would be glorified. And as a result, we would have peace and joy. We thank you in Christ's precious and holy name. Amen.